Shall we turn today into our Bible? Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. In a convention such as this, we need to supply the food for many different growth levels, spiritual growth levels. We have in these conventions people who are scared, who have never heard or never seen anything like what they're witnessing. We have people who have just been baptized in the Holy Spirit some just a few weeks, maybe some days, perhaps some just last night. But also we have in this convention people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit for two, three years, maybe more. And because of their situation, because of the planting of the Lord, as our brother said, need to be fed also. And as we were seeking the Lord this morning, the Lord removed me from the meeting in the morning service, took me to be alone with him and began to speak to me very strongly from Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. It's our desire to share with you from this precious portion of the Word of God, trying under God's help to, to give direction and purpose, to feed, to provide food for you as, as we continue to grow, as we continue on in the purposes of God. And as the prophetic tongues and interpretation as this utterance came, encouraging us, speaking to us concerning the, the cry, the desire of the heart of the Lord. Now, I had a pastor when I was just beginning in the ministry, and he said to me, Bob, one thing you have to remember, there are two kinds of sermons that a man preaches. I said, what are they? He said, there are only two kinds of sermons. One is to feed the sheep, and the other one is to club the goats. <laughs> and he said, which do you want to be? And I said, well, I don't want to be a goat clubber. <laughs> I just want to be a, a sheep feeder. And so from there on, I never began to, to spend time clubbing the goats. Now, if you want to know how you can tell between the sheep and the goats, I'll tell you. When you ask a sheep to do something, he said, yes, sir, I will do it. When you ask a goat to do something, he said, yes, I will do it, but, but, but. And the goat nature comes out. Now, one thing I have seen in many people is the goat nature. Now, if you're a goat today, uh, you won't know what I'm talking about, and so you're starved to death. Yes. But if you're a sheep this afternoon and your heart is hungry and open and desirous to hear what the Lord is saying, we're trusting God to be able to share with you some things from his word. Now, one of the great questions that come to any Bible teacher, and, and this question I get so many times, and they say, Brother Mumford, in the context of this chapter, and in the word of prophecy and tongues, interpretation and preaching, how can you tell a false prophecy? How can you tell when a thing is false? How do you know if it, if it isn't from the Lord? And uh, just introducing our remarks today, I'd like to give you three signs. Three things from the Word of God that the Word gives us ourselves so that we can know how to tell false prophecy, how we can tell false preaching, how we can tell false anything that comes our way. Because in our day, in the day of religious confusion, in the day when uh, 
so many things are going forth, it's important that we instruct the people of God how to discern the truth from the false. Now, this is found in verse 28 and verse 29. Will you look there? And I'll just give you these quickly because this is not what we want to say, but I thought we should, in the light of this chapter, touch on these three things. Verse 28, in spite of all the false dreams, the false prophecies, the false anything, here's the instruction of the Lord. If three people get up and say something that is false, and you have something that is true on the fourth one, the Lord says these words. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. He that hath my word, let him speak my word, what is it? Faithfully. Amen. Now this is a class. You respond if you will, and I will appreciate it. What is the chaff to the wheat? Here's the first sign. The second one is not my word like a fire. That's the second one. And the third one, and like a hammer. Now, here are three things that the, the true word of God really is. Number one, it is wheat and not chaff. Now, you get up and hear a man preach for 45 minutes. He says 17,200 uh, glory to God and 8,242 uh, hallelujah. And after he's all done saying, you said what? I haven't had anything to eat. Now, there's one thing about the word of God. If it delivered truly and faithfully, it feeds. The Word of God is wheat and not chaff. And as it comes to you under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you will find that it satisfies something deep in your spirit. You can feed on it, and something else, it sticks with you. Amen? You'll find that when you've heard wheat, preached, or when the word of the Lord or when a prophetic utterance has come that has wheat in it, you find that this utterance, uh, we say, we used to say uh, uh, down south, which it sticks to your ribs. <laughs> You've heard that expression, have you not? It sticks to your ribs, because when the word of God comes forth in anointing and power under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and it is truly his word, it is like wheat. It has feeding qualities, and it ministers to you. The second thing is this, it's like a fire. In other words, it inspires, it does something inside of you. When you hear the word of God, Jeremiah said, was not his word like a fire shut up in my bones. <laughs> and when you hear the prophetic word or when you hear the word of the Lord as it's preached, it is, it, it's inspirational, it does something in the inner man. You feel that fire burning in your spirit. The third thing, is it not like a hammer? Isn't that interesting? Now what does this hammer do? That breaketh the rock in pieces. The third thing is this, it's like a hammer, and the word of God, as it comes under the inspiration and the mighty anointing of the Holy Ghost, it is effective. It does what God says it will do. If the word of the Lord comes to you and says, Thou shalt be healed, <laughs> this I know, you're healed <laughs> because of the power and the might and the hammer effectiveness of the Word of God. I heard a testimony a while back of a young lady who was prayed for, who had clubbed feet. Her, both of her feet were clubbed like this. And uh, as she was being prayed for, the Word of the Lord came to her and said, Behold, thus saith the Lord, thou art healed. And she received it. <laughs> and so the next morning she met the milkman at the door and she said to the milkman, with her feet still like this, she said to the milkman, I'm healed. He looked at her and laughed. 
And so the next morning she met him, and I think this went five days, four or five days. It was the fourth or the fifth day, if I remember correctly. She said to the milkman every morning with her club feet, she said, I am healed. And the fifth morning or the fourth morning, whichever, the power of God hit that woman, and the feet were turned and in her presence and in the milkman's presence. <laughs> and the word of God is effective. It's a hammer. Now, it's not the words that are spoken. It's not the fact that somebody reads out of the Bible that makes it truly the Word of God. The Word of God, as it is mishandled or abused. Does Satan quote scripture, folks? He does. He did to the Lord, and I'm sure we're all aware that the enemy of our soul can, stand, can quote scripture verses. We can be around false prophets and people, men, women, others who have never been sent by the Lord, who have never heard what the Lord is saying, and yet feel that they have somewhat to say unto others. But one thing you can begin to discern, and you should, under God, every one of you should learn to develop some ability to separate the good from the bad, the right from the wrong, the weak from the chaff, and the fire and the hammer. The Word of God feeds, it stirs, it's inspirational, it does something inside, and it is effective. Those three things, the Lord says, is what my Word is like. Now today I would like to talk to you for about, for whatever time we have, at least a little while, I'd like to speak to you about something I have never preached on in my life, and that is the burden of the Lord. As I waited in God's presence this morning, as I, as I paced back and forth across this hotel room on the eighth floor, the Lord kept saying to me, the burden of the Lord, the burden of the Lord. I've never preached this in my life. I have carried the burden of the Lord for many years. I've never really understood it. Now, God helping us with your prayer and with your assistance and, and God doing something for us today, I would like to share with you in this convention a little bit of what is the burden of the Lord. Now, in Jeremiah's day, the people were backslidden. They were very religious. Today in America, we have more church buildings and more church membership than we've ever known in all the world. Everybody is religious. Everybody, it, it's in vogue, it's really in vogue uh, to, be, to be religious. But in the midst of this, there is a separation. There is something that God is doing. There is a moving of the Spirit. Out across our congregation here this afternoon is a representation of about every brand or kind of Christian that I know. Last night I met a Seventh-day Adventist at the end of the platform, precious brother in the Lord. He says to me, my brother, I've known the baptism of the Holy Spirit for about 20 years. I thought, God, how good you are. Here's every, every possible type of person is represented. So in the midst of all of the religion that we are knowing today, there is a spiritual thing, there is a working, there is a moving of the Holy Spirit, and that, that moving is, if we can define it this afternoon, uh, we would like to define it as the burden of the Lord. Now, uh, in verse 33, I'd like just to use these verses of Scripture, if I may. Uh, the people, or the prophet, or the priest shall ask thee, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? And you shall answer, What burden? He said, If you have lived this long, 
If you have come this far in your walk with God and don't know that the Lord has any burden, then he said, I tell you what, I'm going to remove that burden from you and you won't have the privilege of carrying that anymore. Now, one of the greatest privileges that I feel is ours as a group of people that are out here today. One of the greatest privileges that is ours as spirit-filled Holy Ghost-oriented, Bible-believing people, that burden, that privilege, I'm sorry, that privilege is the privilege of knowing and carrying and experiencing the burden of the Lord. When God the Father begins to share his burden with you or with someone else. As a child, and you're in a home, as your father is in a home, suppose you were in a home and you had some 15 children, and there are 15 children born, and your father is carrying the burden all by himself. And one day you get old enough, or you begin to mature, whether this is 8 years old or 10 years old or maybe 15 years old, one day daddy sits down and says, Son, I'd like to talk to you about the burden that I carry. And the son says, What burden? Dad, what burden? I didn't know you were carrying any. And so the dad explains to him the burden that the father is carrying for the responsibility of all that is his and the finances and the raising of the children and all that was involved. He begins to explain to this son the burden of the Lord. Now, when he, when he responded this way in the days of Jeremiah, when the people were ultra-religious and yet sin and, and iniquity and all kinds of problems existed, he began to say to them, what burden? And they said, where is the burden of the Lord? The Lord said, I tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to take from you the burden of the Lord, and I forbid you to say anymore the burden of the Lord. And not soon after this, very soon after this, the destruction came upon Israel and the captivity and all the things that came that followed the removal of the burden of the Lord upon his people. Now, in, in Hebrews chapter 3, you don't need to turn to these verses. I'll ask you to turn back with me to a couple of verses in a moment. But in chapter, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 10, the Lord says these words, I was grieved with that generation because they didn't know my ways. Let me repeat that to you. God said in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 10, I was grieved with that generation because they didn't know my ways. Now, a grief is a love word. The only person you can grieve is someone that you love or someone that loves you. You can only grieve someone that you really love. And so God speaks these words through the prophet or uh, the apostle who wrote the, the book to the Hebrews. And he said, I was grieved with that generation because they didn't know my ways. Now, most people don't know God's ways. Most people are, are, aren't aware that God has certain ways. Now, will you turn with me back to Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 11. I just want to read one verse and then we will try to... Um, I tried to elicit from this scripture a little bit of the understanding of the burden of the Lord as it rests upon this convention, as it rests upon every one of you. As I was preparing to come 
to the convention here. There was a prophetic word to my own heart from the Princeton prayer group. Some of you are aware of the group at Princeton. If you're ever there, we invite you to come visit and fellowship with us at the Princeton group. But as the, as the prophetic word came to my own heart, it said this, Do not consider the multitude that shall sit before thee, but thou shalt speak unto them man to man and as an individual to an individual. And I would today that I could take every one of you alone in a corner quietly and just speak to you about the burden of the Lord. And I suppose this was the, prepar the preparation that the Lord could prepare my heart to speak this way. Because I usually like to teach on the moving of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit. And, and, uh, and I enjoy teaching that. And chances are tomorrow or whenever we have another opportunity, we could teach along this line. Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 11. May I read it to you? For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory, but they would not hear. Now let me tell you simply and clearly, if I may this afternoon, what is the burden of the Lord? And I'll tell you what it is. The burden of the Lord is God's attempt and effort to get a people for himself. If you would begin in Genesis, you would see that it's God who took the initiative and he came out seeking and he said, Adam, where art thou? Adam, where art thou? And Adam was hidden. He was hidden away. And you know, God's search began in Genesis 3, and he has searched over the land, over the nations. He has searched through churches, and he searched through people, and God's search tonight, the burden of the Lord, is God's search for a people that he might call his very own. Now, if I could take you, if we had time today, I could take you from verse to verse all the way through the Bible, from Genesis 3 all the way to the Revelation, and it always says, and you shall be unto me a people, and you shall be unto me a people. In, in Exodus 19 and verse 5, he said, at Sinai, he made a covenant with them, and he said, oh, please, be a peculiar people for me, and I'll make you a kingdom of priests, and, and I, I, I'll keep my covenant with you, and God's searching heart reached out to the people of Israel with a hunger, with a desire, with a with a burden of the Lord. The burden of the heart of God Almighty is his search for a people that he can call his own. Not religious people, spiritual people. Not people who are encumbered about with a multitude of things, but people who have an ear to hear and and know and understand. The burden of the Lord. All right, the burden of the Lord is God seeking to get himself a people. God's search for a people for himself. Now, this search has been eternal. 
and we'd like to share that with you a little bit. He wants a special and a useful people. He doesn't want a people that are just, that just look pretty, but he wants a people that not only are they peculiar unto him or specially his own, but he wants a people that he can use and through whom he can use or through whom he can move to bring blessing and healing to others. And we'll be touching on that in a moment. He sought to establish, God has sought to establish over the years, from the beginning of time, a true spiritual theocracy. Do you know what theocracy means? It means when God is the ruler. Over in Samuel, it came to a time when the people said, we don't want God to rule over us. And, and, God, and Samuel went to God, and, and God said, that's all right, Samuel. They aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Samuel, give them their king. Give them their way. I'll find me a people somewhere Sometime, down through the ages, I'll find me a people somewhere. I'll find me a people. That's all right, Samuel. Let them have their way, and I'll search for my own. So the search of God has continued. Now, four things I need to point these out, that they might be unto me for a people. That they might be unto me for a name. Now, I can't teach on the name, but that name speaks of authority and power and deliverance for others. How many of you know God has invested his name in his people? Amen? <laughs> He's given us his name and the power of eternity, and the power of eternity that goes with that name. And so he said that they might be unto me for a name and for a praise, he said, and for a praise. Oh, that these people would learn and know and understand what praise really is. On one occasion, this, this really blesses me, David was almost ready to be extinguished by King Saul. And uh, I forget what psalm it is, but David was writing to the Lord, and he said, Lord, you better save, my, you better save me alive. And God said, why? Because he said, God, the dead doesn't praise you. <laughs> and he said, Lord, if you let me get killed, there won't be anybody to praise you. <laughs> and the Lord said, all right, David, I think I'll spare you for a while. Because I, I appreciated David's appeal, and he said, the dead go into the grave, and they don't praise the Lord. And the Lord said, well, David, that's right. I think I'd better keep you around for a while. For if there's one thing that David knew how to do, he knew how to uh, praise. All right? Fourth thing, very quickly, was this, that they might be for a glory. Now, I, I talk a little bit along this line that I believe that God has given to us his glory. People quote the scripture all the time from Isaiah 42, 8, and it says these words. My glory I will not give to another. And I used to say, Lord, I want to see your glory. And people say, you can't have that glory, Bob Mumford. You can't have that glory. The Lord won't give his glory to another. And that used to bother me for the longest time. And one day I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what about this? And the Lord said, Son, I have given you my glory because you are not another. You're my body. Is that right? How many of you know John 17, verse about, verse about 16 or 17 says, The glory that thou hast given me, I have given them. Do you know that's in the Bible? How many of you know that's in the Bible? Hallelujah. The glory, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, The glory that you have given me, I have, Greek, Eric, I have given them. And you know something? I'm looking for that glory. I've experienced some of it. I want to know more. How many of you want to know more of the glory of the Lord? Amen. He's already given it to the church. Now he said, this is what I want. If you want to know what's the burden of the Lord, I want a people 
I want a special people. I want a people who are under the rulership of the headship of Jesus Christ. I want a people for a name that know the use of the name, who are able to minister and bring deliverance to others. I want a people for the praise. I want a people for my glory. People that will redound unto the glory of God. I have a, a lady, uh, one, of the, my, one of my parishioners, and, and a rather nice-looking lady, and she was in a, in a restaurant, and a man made a pass at her and uh, came over and sat down at her table and sought to uh, engage her in conversation for the motivations of, of which I'm sure you can guess. And uh, she sat down, and finally she looked him in the eye, and she said, Sir... I belong to Jesus. <laughs> he, he certainly never expected any kind of a witness like that. And uh, he said, what do you mean? She said, I'm living for Jesus. My life is clean and I walk with him. He said, you can't live like that in this day. And you know something just blessed me. For she said like this to him, you're looking at one. Hallelujah. That's a special people, isn't it? That's a special. She said to him, you're looking at one. Amen. And this is the whole impact of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you will be a witness. And she said, sir, you're looking at one. And this is what, under God, the Lord is seeking to work in our heart. Now, you mean to tell me you've been saved a year? You mean to tell me you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost for a year and a half and you don't know the burden of the Lord? I didn't know the Lord had any burden. <laughs> oh, the Lord has a burden. The burden of the Lord is this. The Lord is seeking a people for himself. Out of every tribe, out of every nation, out of every people, out of every tongue, the Lord's going to get what? A people for himself. All right? What does the burden of the Lord cost? We want to deal with four things this afternoon. What does the burden of the Lord cost? And I'd like to share with you for a few moments. What is the cost of the burden of the Lord? All right? I'll tell you what it costs. It costs the rejection of Israel. On one occasion, in fact, on this occasion in our text, the Lord said, I remove from you the burden of the Lord. I won't permit you to say this anymore. I don't want you to say the burden of the Lord. I refuse you that privilege of saying the burden of the Lord. And the consequent suffering and all that went with the destruction of Jerusalem and the rejection of the nation. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 43, it says these words, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a people that shall bring forth the fruits thereof. What did the burden of the Lord cost Jesus? The burden of the Lord cost the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it cost God his son. Um, another pastor and I pulled into a gas station one time, and we was witnessing to the man. And the man said, uh, don't talk to me about God. I don't want to hear about God. I prayed for my son, and my son got killed. Where was God anyway when my son got killed? And this pastor friend of mine said, I suppose he was the same place he was when his son got killed. The burden of the Lord cost Jesus his life. The birth, the death, the suffering, the agony of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that was involved in the Messiahship and the life and suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was one thing that was on the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ as he moved through this world, as he moved through this life. There was one thing that moved his heart. That was the burden of the Lord. 
the burden of the Lord. As it rested upon him, his, the stripes, his nakedness, uh, the rejection, all the misunderstanding, all of the things that he suffered was given for, was, was suffered for the price of carrying the burden of the Lord. This young lady that sang for us, I said to her, uh, what has the Lord laid on your heart to sing? She said, I would like to sing, uh, follow me. And she had no idea what we wanted to teach this afternoon. But she said, I'd like to teach, I'd like to sing, follow me. And as she began to sing it, I began to see how this thing fit together. One day Jesus stood before Pilate. And he stood there and he said, uh, Pilate said, are you a king? Jesus said, Thou hast said. And he said, uh, What are you here for? And Jesus said, This is John 18, verse 38, 39. He said, I'm here to bear witness to the truth. This is what he did. He stood there. The truth of God cost him everything he ever had, everything he could ever produce. The truth of God, because he carried the burden of the Lord, it cost him everything that he had. Now, who can carry the burden of the Lord? We realize the cost, and I don't want to dwell so much on the cost, but I, I say that to you in a moment as you as an individual. But who can carry the burden of the Lord? One day, the Lord made me understand something that blessed my heart beyond comparison. I was looking at, through my newspaper, and as I opened the newspaper, I saw an ad, I think it was for Boeing aircraft, I suppose. The ad was either three-quarter page or a full page in the newspaper. And as I looked at that ad, it said, Help Wanted, and uh, went on down through this great big ad, and they wanted help very badly. And I thought, Lord, suppose you put an ad in the newspaper like that. Want it. $7.50 an hour, people to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you know God doesn't have any hirelings? Do you know that? Do you know that today, listen, today God will not permit his work to be done by anyone who's not a member of his family? This is a family proposition. You have to be born into his family before he'll let you do his work. <laughs> and this blessed me so because I realized something, and I, I don't think we should go over into, into Ephesians 2, but this is what it says in Ephesians 2. It says, God took Jew and Gentile, and he took them both, and he broke down all the walls of partition. He broke down everything that he could, and he stripped back everything. He nailed it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know what he did all of that for? Let me tell you something. Follow me now just a moment. Do you know something that's coming very clear to me? We're in an international convention today. And I said, God, I remember when your word said, Go out and get the publicans and the harlots, the maimed, and the heart, and what? The blind. Go out into the highways and the hedges. Go out into the factories. Let's bring it down to, 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 uh, to uh, <laughs> July the 4th, 1967. Go out and get the waiters. Go out and get the harlot and the publican. Go out and get the, the uh, General Motors worker, and go out and get 
anyone, anywhere, car dealers, uh, milkmen, isn't that what Demos says? Go out and get the milkmen, uh, go out and get the car dealers or the, uh, the uh, industrialists and whatever, whatever walk of life that you can possibly be in. How many of you know that the Lord found you, you didn't find him? How many of you know that this afternoon? Hallelujah. A friend of mine was, was, was walking down one day with his little girl in his hand, and, and, she, and, and he, it was pitch black. Everywhere it was pitch black. And uh, she kept dropping her daddy's hand and running off. So after a while, he stepped back into the trees where she couldn't see him. And she had a little white dress on, and she was running all around. And finally she said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And, and, and she couldn't find him. And finally, when he, she started to panic... Just at that crucial time in her life, when she thought all was lost, she was running all around wildly. He stepped out from between the trees, and she ran right into it. And as she ran into his legs, she said, Oh, Daddy, I found you. Ah, do you know what God did to me? I was a sailor, living like a sailor in the medical department of the United States Navy. And you know, one day God stepped right into my path and I hit him head on. How many of you how many of you can testify to that this afternoon? Let me see here. He he stepped right into your path and you hit him head on. Who found who? Tell me who found who? He found me, didn't he? Our brother who was the master sergeant. Brother, I appreciated that testimony. My heart was moved because I know who found who in that situation. He came, didn't he, brother? And he stepped right into your path and you ran right into it. Do you know why? Because the burden of the Lord, the burden of the Lord, the burden of the Lord is resting upon this congregation. It's resting upon your heart and mind. Do you know what that burden is? It's the burden of the Lord. It's the Spirit of God reaching out into every highway and byway. Reaching out for anyone, anywhere, in any condition that wants God to rule over there. I said, Lord, oh Lord, I just want to be yours. I just want to be your servant. I just want to be your your peculiar treasure. I just want to walk with you. He said, son, do you know something? I've been waiting 2,000 years to hear that. My spirit has been moving. In fact, this is a scripture. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro over all the earth, looking for someone to whom he can show himself strong. God, the burden of the Lord, can only be carried by the children of the Lord. Nobody else in all creation knows the burden of the Lord. But there are some children of the Lord who don't know that God has a burden. They don't realize what the burden of the Lord is. As it reaches out into all the highways and the byways, into business places, beauty salons, barber shops, uh, anywhere, any place, the Lord, the burden of the Lord, as it manifests itself through you, reaching out for those whose hearts God has opened. In Acts it says, Lydia was a woman whose heart God had opened. Now I'd like for you to turn with me to another verse of Scripture. Matthew chapter 13, verse 16 and 17. The Lord had by this time called to himself twelve disciples. For what purpose? Tell me, in the light of what we've been teaching. What did he want to share with them? 
the burden of the Lord. He called to him twelve, and he said, Gentlemen, I've got something I want to drop on you. <laughs> Those twelve said, What is it, Lord? We can bear anything. But uh, they weren't quite ready, and they weren't quite capable, and, uh, and uh, he took him a little while. But he called to him twelve, and he said, You know, gentlemen, there's on me something that's so heavy, that's so heavy, that's resting on me. Oh, gentlemen, I want to share this with you. And so he called them, Matthew and Bartholomew and, and, and Peter and James and John, and he called them and he began to share with them, what? The burden of the Lord. And this is the words that he spoke to them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And blessed are your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto thee, and listen, I can say to you this afternoon with all the authority that's been invested in me, blessed are your eyes if you can see what I'm saying to you. Blessed are your ears if they can hear what the Lord is seeking to say to you. This verse is used 15 times in the New Testament. Let him that have ears, let him hear. Him that has ears, let him hear. That's 15 times that's repeated. Do you know why? Because Israel couldn't hear. They couldn't see. They couldn't understand the burden of the Lord. And so they missed the greatest opportunity and privilege that ever was afforded a human being. And that privilege is sharing and understanding and bearing the burden of the Lord. Verily I say unto you, that many prophets and many righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. All right, who can bear, who can bear the burden of the Lord? Let me give it to you very quickly. One, only the family or the children of God. Secondly, only those that can see and hear. If you said to me, Brother Mumford, would you rather be blind and deaf, deaf physically or spiritually? I said, take my physical eyes. Take my, 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 my physical ears. But Jesus said, don't take my spiritual eyes or my spiritual ears. How many of you want to see this afternoon? Let me see your hand. You want to see and you want to hear what the Lord is saying to the church. Alright, third thing. One, you must be a child of God and filled with the Spirit till you can know and understand the burden of the Lord. Second, you must have eyes and ears. For people say, uh, how is the burden of the Lord? And you say, what burden? Ignorance, childishness, immaturity, ingratitude, a lack of understanding, and the heart of God grieves because we don't understand His way. The third thing is this. Those that have a desire to carry the burden of the Lord. Luke 9, 23, if any man will follow me, let him take up his cross daily, daily, and what? And follow me. Now listen to me. A cross is not your sick grandmother, or your little son that's crippled, or the fact that you don't have any money, or that you're blind, or that, you're, that something's wrong with you, or you have a, a mother-in-law. That's not your cross. Or that you have a, a, a mean wife. Or you, That's not your cross. Listen to me carefully. How many of you know there's people with grandmothers with cancer who don't know anything about Jesus? How many of you know there's people that have mother-in-laws who don't know anything about Jesus? 
that a cross is never forced on you. Never, never, never will God ever force anything on you as far as helping him share his burden. Do you know why? Because he only wants those to share his burden that wants to. In the early years of our marriage, I was left at 6 o'clock in the morning and I come home at 12. I was out trying to save the world all by myself. I didn't have the I didn't have the burden of the Lord. I had the preacher's itch. How many of you know? How many of you know the difference? <laughs> how many of you know between the burden of the Lord and the preacher's itch, and the burden of the Lord and and trying to make a name for yourself? That's two different things. But I was trying to make a name for myself. I had the preacher's itch, or something was wrong with me. And my wife said to me, "If you don't stay home with me once in a while, there's going to be trouble." <laughs> and I said, "Yes, dear, I'm getting the message." So I, I stayed home with her, and uh, so we sat down on the couch, and, and I sat there, and she looked at me, and she said, Listen, honey, you're not here because you want to be. You're only here because I forced you to be, and I don't want you to stay home with me like that. How many of you know wives are awful particular about motives? <laughs> Boy, I got, I got a little bit aggravated, you know, and I said, Didn't I do what you wanted me to do? And she said, Yes, you're home. But only your body's here. Your spirit's out preaching the gospel. <laughs> and I said, ah, I'm beginning to understand. See, she wanted me home. What? Body, soul, and spirit. She wanted me to sit on that couch with her alone because I wanted to be there. Now, you see, she taught me something. And, you know, after about an hour, I began to relax a little bit. And I said, honey, you know something? I love you. And I want to sit here with you. And then my spirit began to settle down. She said, now, that's what, that's what I... And you know, out of that, I began to learn what it is that God wants for us. How many of you know we try to give him sacrifices? How many of you tried to buy God off, give him $100 and say, Lord, take it. Lord, do I want you $100? How many of you tried to give him, oh, give him all kinds of things? How many of you tried to give him tears instead of obedience? And I thought, after the Lord said to me one time, I was crying and crying. The Lord said, are you all done crying? I said, yes, sir. He said, how about obey? <laughs> we try to give him all kinds of substitutes. He doesn't want substitutes. you know what he wants? He wants you, your love, your spirit, your commitment. He wants you, the real self. And that's the last thing people give him. They give him their money, they give him their time, they even come to conventions, they'll even give him three hours sitting through a meeting and, and clapping with everybody else. But down inside there's a little man that says, oh, I'll keep myself and nobody's going to get in there. How many of you know we got a little closet way down inside? How, and brother, when that door swings open, uh, uh, brother said to me, brother said to me uh, down inside, you can stand physically like this, but it's the little man inside. Is he standing like that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've all heard the story about the little boy standing up in his high chair and his mother said, sit down. He said, I won't sit down. She said, I'll knock you down. So he sat down, but he said, I'm still standing up in my heart. See, it's, it's the inner man God's after. You can't give him anything less. He won't settle for anything less. He wants the heart, the burden of the Lord. Now, well, I, I could spell that out. Maybe I ought to do it right here. The burden of the Lord is not only evangelism. The burden of the Lord isn't only getting you in here, but the burden of the Lord. As Brother Simpson read that scripture, I said, Lord, thank you for another confirmation. Do you know what he read? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. 
It's not enough to get saved and be baptized with the Holy Ghost and pay your tithe. God wants you. He wants you. The burden of the Lord in this convention is to get you. And if he gets you, he can get others through you. We were in a little restaurant where I'm studying in a Episcopalian seminary. The Lord sent me there. I didn't want to go. And uh, one day the Lord said, I want you to go to, uh, to the Episcopalian cemetery. I said, what did you say? He said, I want you to go to the Episcopalian cemetery. I said, all right, Lord, I'll obey you. Not because I want to, but because I have to. But uh, I went, and oh, how I have been thrilled with what God has been teaching me through the Episcopalians. Hallelujah. I've been rejoicing what God's been teaching me. Of course, I got the sem- I've got the seminary a little shook up, too, you know. <laughs> but uh, the Lord began to teach us. There was a little restaurant down there, a little Italian waitress, and, and uh, she came up to wait on us. I think it was about the third week I was there, and I ordered a sandwich. And she looked me in the eyes, and she said, uh, I'm scared of you. I said, you better be scared of me because I'm going I'm to lead you to Jesus. <laughs> and she was almost paralyzed. But you see, as the Lord gets hold of you, you can speak boldly. Do you know why? Because you're carrying the burden of the Lord. You're not working for the Baptist, Brother Bob. You're not working for the Methodist. You're working for who? Jesus. You're carrying the burden of the Lord. Now, one last thing. What does the burden of the Lord do to us? And and as I began to search my own life, I want to tell you four things that the burden of the Lord will do to you. Once you accept the burden of the Lord and let it begin to work on you and let it begin to work in you, four things will happen to you and these, I believe, you'll find to be exceedingly important. Number one, it will eliminate the undesirable things in your life. Now, there's two ways to strip all the leaves off of a tree. You can climb up the tree and cut all the limbs off and all the leaves off one at a time. And if you do, you'll finally someday you'll get all the leaves cut off. But the Lord doesn't do it that way. He puts the axe at the root of the tree. And once he smites the root of the tree, all of the leaves turn brown and drop off. How many of you know that's the way it works? Hallelujah. And you know, some people are always worrying about habits. They're worrying about fears. They're worrying about all kinds of things that are in their lives. And they say, oh, brother, remember, pray for this, pray for that, pray for the other. I've got this habit, this fear, this problem. I've got this difficulty, that difficulty. And they say, would you pray? I say, if I prayed for all that, I'd never get anything done but praying. Do you know what I would like to recommend to you? I'd like to recommend to you, you begin to seek the burden of the Lord. The burden of the Lord. And as the burden of the Lord comes upon you, it changes the thing inside. And suddenly, habits and fears and things that have clung to your life for many years begin to drop off because you don't have time for them. Another thing the burden of the Lord will do in this same light, it will deliver you from religious politics. How many of you have been in religious politics, in the, in the power struggles in churches, and who's going to be the piano player, and who's going to be the elder and the deacon? And I thought, dear Lord, get me out of that, please. 
I can't stand that kind of business. It will deliver you from wasting time, from wasting money. It will deliver you from wasting your effort. Things that don't matter. I can't be bothered with things that don't matter anymore. I've got a brooding on my life. I've got things to do and people to see. Hallelujah. The brooding of the Lord. And all of these things that are superfluous. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. You seek the kingdom of God to rule over you and the other things will be taken care of. Number two. Second thing the burden of the Lord will do for you. It will release you from selfishness. Oh, now let me talk to you a moment here. If you want to find some selfishness, just get around Christians. It's mine, mine, blessed be his name, that's mine. Oh, I want to see him. I don't know about the rest of you people, but I'm going through it. And all of the songs, as one man said to me, Pastor Mumford, you wrecked my songbook. I said, hallelujah. If I could get you delivered from selfishness, I would be glad. Some people are so, are so futuristic in their faith. One of these days, won't it be wonderful there? I said, it's wonderful here. Dear Jesus, I, I'm all a selfish. I just, oh, I just, I just have one desire. Just one desire. I just have one desire. That's to make heaven my home. I said, brother, if that's the only desire you have, you better get delivered. You better get delivered. I said, oh, I said, what are you living for, brother? I said, oh, I'm just living to someday I can walk down those gold streets with Paul. I said, wonderful motivation, wonderful. <laughs> me and mine, you know what they call, how many of you know what a bless me club is? Bless us for and no more acts to four. Little bless me clubs, and we have them all over. They're springing up. If you have a prayer group in your home, I hope it isn't a bless me club. They're almost offended if a sinner walks in because it affects our, um, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, oh, me and mine, us and ours. Pray for my family and I, wait a minute. If you get hold of the burden of the Lord, you begin to cry over Columbia. And you begin to pray for Haiti, and you begin to look on the map, and I have a map over my desk, and I sit at the desk, and I say, oh God, move in Russia, oh God, do something in Bogota, oh God, in Jesus' name, through the islands of the sea, oh God, down in Miami Beach, over in East Cupcake, how many of you know they need revival over in East Cupcake? Anywhere, all the little towns, everywhere, every time I pass a little Methodist church, how many of you know there's a Methodist church in every town almost, and some of them have nails, boards nailed over the door I said, oh God, open that church and fill it with people in Jesus' name Hallelujah. you know what, the burden of the Lord I said, oh Lord, bless us bless our church, bless, wait a minute I said, God fulfill your purpose in the earth Oh, God, move in the Baptist church, the Presbyterian church. Move among the Episcopalians. How many of you know I believe in raising the dead? I believe God's moving among the Episcopalians. I, I, I see it. The dead are coming to life again. Hallelujah. They really are. Even, even Baptists are getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Even the Bible Presbyterian. Hallelujah. And the fighting fundings. How many of you know what the fighting fundings are? The fighting fundamentalists. 
The people that are protecting God. Have you ever seen God's defenders? People that are going to protect God. I thought, well, I'll tell you one thing. I won't protect him. He protects me. <laughs> I quit trying to take care of him. I just want to know how to carry the burden of the Lord. One, it eliminates undesirable things from your life. Second, it releases you from selfishness. Number three, it makes you dependent on others. You know what I found out? I can't carry the burden of the Lord alone. Brother Henry, burdens on me. He said, Brother, let me pray with you. How many of you had the burden of the Lord on your heart? Others come along and, and, and nurse you. Have, you. have you had that experience? I've been coming, so weeping with the burden of the Lord. They said, oh, Brother, come on, let, let's pray together. And you know what? I don't just talk about needing others anymore. I really need them. The burden of the Lord on my heart is so strong sometimes. I say, oh, God, use anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place, under any circumstance. Just let me do my little part. Amen. Just, if I can just be a little Bible teacher and help out a little bit, oh, God, let me do it. If I, can, if I can do my part. But you know one thing? The burden of the Lord will work in you an absolute dependence on other people, other churches, other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Whether you're a missionary, whether whatever church, whatever group, whatever situation you come from, because you cannot, you cannot, you cannot carry the burden of the Lord all by yourself. Number four, and this is important, and one other statement, and I suppose I'll be finished. It will give you true motivation and purpose in your life. It will give you true motivation and purpose in your life. They say, what are you living for, Brother Mumford? Oh, I said, I'm living for two cars, a split level, $100,000 in the bank, Blue Cross and Blue Shield. There's nothing more to live for. Who needs God if you have 100000 in the bank, Blue Cross and Blue Shield? What are you living for? Oh, I said, I'm living still one day. I can see my name on the marquee at the Hotel de Ville. Oh, Jesus, what a false motivation. What are you living for, Christian? Oh, I'm just living so that one day I can make heaven my home. I said, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and walking with Jesus, you have to go to heaven. There isn't any other place to go. Forget about heaven. That's the end of the road. We don't worry about We don't worry about heaven. We're worried about what? Right now. Oh, well, well, remember, don't you believe in heaven? I believe in everything. I, I believe. I, I believe. Hallelujah. I believe. I believe in heaven. I believe that's all taken care of. That's, that's the, like the fringe benefit. Heaven is the place where you go when it's over. Hallelujah. It's not over. <laughs> and I need something to live for right now. I don't want pie in the sky by and by. I want a living reality of Jesus Christ this afternoon. Amen? Hallelujah. And that only comes as we are properly motivated in our Christian life. Brother Mumford, what are you living for? i tell you what I'm living for. I'm living for the burden of the Lord. The burden of the Lord. The burden of the Lord. Brother Mumford, my, uh, the other day I was telling some folks this. Uh, I come in one day and I said to my wife, um, tomorrow morning I'm going hunting. She said, you're going where? I said, I'm going hunting. 
suppose he looked at me. You mean you're going to get up in this 10 degrees below zero and go hunting for deer? You know, I'm a great sportsman. <laughs> and she said, uh, you really are? I said, yes, uh, I'm going hunting tomorrow. And she said, you know, I know why you're going hunting. She said, you just want to get that boy out in the woods, sit him on a log and talk to him about Jesus. <laughs> I said, you know, that's right. That's really right. I don't care whether I shoot a deer or don't shoot a deer. If I could get somebody out in the woods and get them on a log and talk to them about Jesus, I'd be perfectly happy. <laughs> oh, you know why? You know why, don't you? Because of the burden of the Lord. The burden of the Lord. What's the burden of the Lord? The burden of the Lord is resting on this meeting. The burden of the Lord God wants to share with you. He'll put within you the motivation for Christian service like you have never known. Paul said it this way, For it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do the burden of the Lord. I'm so glad today for this opportunity to share with you. I'm trusting, I'm trusting God. We've got three more days or four more days together. I, I want God to come on this convention with such a seriousness. Now, I'm a, I don't mean long face. Somebody said I could tell he was a Christian because he had a long face. Oh, you know, I don't have a long face. I love people. I love life. I love Jesus. I love his word. I'm enjoying every breath I take. Hallelujah. I don't mean that long. I mean the true burden of the Lord. He said, Brother Mumford, what's the matter? I said, I got the burden of the Lord. <laughs> I said, you don't have the burden of the Lord. You got the burden of religion. I don't want the burden of the religion. I want the burden of the Lord. And inside there's something working. Working, working, always working, always working. It never ceases. First John chapter 2 verse 27, he said this, The anointing which you have received is an abiding relationship. It never leaves. It never diminishes. It doesn't change. It's always there. And he says, you don't have to have a man teach you. The spirit, the burden, the anointing will teach you all things. Your heart will be open. Your spirit will be motivated and oriented until suddenly you find that you have a throbbing purpose in life that just keeps you constantly keeping on. Why do you think Paul could get knocked down, beat up, hammered on, beaten, uh, beaten, uh, strikes 39, say one, perils of the sea, perils among false brethren? He said, knocked down, but not knocked out. And I said, Paul, what keeps you going? Tell me, church, what kept him going? The burden of the Lord. The burden of the Lord. The burden of the Lord. So, Brother Mumford, what are you crying about? I said, oh, I'm crying because it's you of the Lord and the burden of the Lord. Brother Mumford, what, what, keeps, you, what, what keeps you going? The burden of the Lord. Brother, what, what, what makes you leave everything and, and go to Alaska and teach the Indians? The burden of the Lord. If you go for any other motivation... <laughs> it's, it's, it's straw and hay and wood. <laughs> Amen. But, but the burden of the Lord, the burden of the Lord. Now, if somebody.